Boating is something so many people love to do. In areas I grew up, it seemed to be a commonplace every single day for people to go bass fishing. But it seems a lot of people are seeing some creepy and unexplainable things while out on the open water. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true boating horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that truly help keep this show going on a daily basis. For those of you that don't know, I recently started streaming on Twitch. I stream two to three times a week over there for a minimum of eight to 12 hours. Currently, we are playing The Evil Within 1 and 2. If you're a fan of scary games and all-around good times, come join me over there. Now, let's get into these creepy and allegedly true boating horror stories. This story comes from my uncle and my grandfather originally. It has been retold to us so many times as kids growing up that I can repeat it verbatim. So please, understand that they are not the type of people to lie or make up a fictional story to tell. To my knowledge, this is 100% true, and I have retold it to the best of my knowledge as accurately as possible. My grandfather was the owner and operator of a tugboat company that ran barges up and down rivers all over Louisiana, the Mississippi River included, and on occasion, they would even be as far north as the Ohio River. My uncles have told me stories of them sweating in Louisiana and then breaking ice on the Mississippi River during their work stint with their boat. Later, the company was sold to a giant corporation and my grandfather's small fleet of three tugboats. However, many memories and stories remain from their time operating. These stories are still being carried down from my mother and her siblings, who all worked as a part of the company at some point in their life. For context, sometime around 1975 in Louisiana, my uncle, who was about 20 at the time, and my grandfather had boarded one of their boats one day to get in some extra work. Although the company employed many other employees in addition to my family who worked it, my uncle and grandfather were the only ones on the boat that day, as this wasn't typically a scheduled workday. It was something that they could handle on their own. After the day of work, as night fell, they had a dinner prepared in the galley, to which my uncle went and ate. He then returned to the bridge where my grandfather was operating the boat. After a short time, my uncle looked over the ship's side, where he noticed a man he saw the man with a long scraggly white beard and long hair raking what appeared to be leftover food into the river. My uncle quickly looked over at my grandfather and said, I thought we were the only ones on the boat tonight. My grandfather responded, We are, son. Why? My uncle then said, Well, who's the man down there? My grandfather quickly got up to go look, and the man was gone. In a rush, they checked the entire boat, every compartment, every nook and cranny. They were indeed the only ones on that ship. They returned to the bridge, to which my grandfather asked my uncle to describe the man he saw. My uncle told him he had a long white beard, long hair, raking food into the river. My grandfather was taken aback as he quickly realized what it must have been. 
This was their newest boat, and he had bought it a few years before. It was for a reasonable price. However, the ship did come with a story. Several years before my grandfather purchased it, a man was killed on this boat and fixed it up. He never told anyone else this story, as he thought nothing of it and didn't want them to worry about buying a boat involved in such an accident. As my grandfather's story goes, a man was working on this particular boat on a day when it was about to collide with a barge. In their attempt to stop the two vessels from crashing, a man fell between them and was crushed as they hit. The reason my grandfather was taken aback? The man, my uncle described, fit the exact description of the man that was destroyed on the boat just a few years prior. Over the next 10 to 15 years, this boat was in operation for my grandfather's company. It came to be known for being haunted, as this was not the last experience anyone had on that boat, nor the last time the man with the long white beard would be seen. Hello, Swamp Dweller. This is a story that occurred to me about a week ago. I won't reveal my name for obvious reasons, but I also fear the government may get involved. This story is quite different from the occasional cryptid or creepy person attempting to abduct you. This is much different from your typical story, because this story takes place in the Gulf of Mexico. It's extraordinary and unbelievable, but it did happen, and I felt that I should share it with you all. Without any further ado, let's dive into this story, pun intended. It was a sunny afternoon out on the waters of the Gulf of Mexico, and it was beautiful and peaceful. I was on a small sports fishing boat with four other people. They had been very successful that day catching fish, but they were releasing them due to the fishing regulations. At one point, I saw a massive king mackerel, which many people confused with barracudas because of its sheer size and appearance. The king mackerel was a whopping three, maybe four feet long and weighing a hefty 160 pounds. This one was a keeper. About 30 minutes later, things started getting strange. Less and fewer fish were being caught, and if some were seen, they would act very strange. As soon as we got a fish aboard, it would start gnashing its mouth at anyone nearing it and began flopping towards the closest person as if they were trying to kill. That's when the clouds started rolling in out of nowhere. We could see bolts of lightning strike in the distance, and the waves became violent. We immediately began scrambling on the boat to get away from the incoming storm. But as we started, the storm caught up, and we were now just in hopes and prayers. An overwhelming feeling of absolute dread overcame the entirety of us. That's when I saw it. A white object is ejecting out of the rough seas like a rocket. Hey, did y'all see that? I had to shout because of the storm. The others turned in the direction that I was talking about. The thing shot out of the water and over the boat. It was, it was huge, more significant than our fishing boat. It was ghost white and strangely beautiful to witness. It had the body of a shark, the head of a viper fish, and the tail of an eel. It had fins like that of a goldfish. It dropped gracefully into the waves next to our boat sending a massive swell of seawater upwards like a death charge. As we were going as fast as the ship could go, the creature was trailing behind. Like a snake, it slithered through the water. It then went down, 
Not just 10 seconds later, it exploded out of the water like a missile and crashed into the waves. This went on for maybe 10 or 15 minutes until, as if losing interest in us, it turned back out to the sea. Bizarrely, the storm shortly let up as we got farther away from the beast. Eventually, we reached the coast and discovered, to our horror, the king mackerel was now out of the tank of water we kept for live fish. We reeled back as the fish was violently hissing at us, snapping at us with its jaws. It was slowly using its fins to pull itself to us. This thing's eyes were rolled back as if it were possessed. Oh, F this, one of the guys said. As we'll call him Jack, grabbed the cleaver to mercilessly kill the fish that we caught to sell to the market and brought down the cleaver upon the mackerel's head. The head was cleaved off. The body went still, but the head was still moving. The body still moves when you cut off a chicken's head, except the rolls are reversed now. This was not very good to see as none of us had ever seen anything like this before. The white eyes of the fish now started bleeding tears, and then it freaking screamed. It sounded like an attempt at a human scream, and it didn't sound enjoyable at all. It just continued screaming as blood kept trickling out of its eyes. Then the screams turned into gurgles as it was somehow spewing blood from its mouth. About one minute passed until the scream stopped, and the head went slack. The eyes rolled back to normal before they died. I have zero answers as to what the hell happened. Maybe it had something to do with the albino creature out in the gulf. Perhaps it was something paranormal. Perhaps they're completely unrelated. But something is going on in the Gulf of Mexico. This particular story is possibly the most traumatic week of my life. Sounds dramatic, I know. I'm already questioning whether or not I even want to put this out there. My name is Kira. I had a lot of issues with my parents growing up, but they always seemed to trump my feelings of uncertainty with annual trips to the Caribbean. Being from Canada, I always enjoyed the palm trees and vibrant aquamarine of the sea, but mostly I enjoyed the week-long break from the bullies at my elementary school. I felt lucky. I knew I had an opportunity many kids in my class did not. More than anything, though, I was just happy to have something good in my life. My parents were the type to take me on vacation, give me beers at the age of 10, and tell me about all the crazy stuff they did growing up. However, I was not allowed to have male friends, I was physically abused for the minor mistakes that I made, and my emotional needs were ignored. It's not relevant to the story, so I won't go to much more detail, but I was left with the impression that I constantly needed to impress and suck up to my parents if I wanted their love and attention, especially my dad. I tried so hard for him. I tried to impress him to this day, but I can't help it. My parents took me to the Dominican Republic during March break for this particular vacation. I was seven years old and this was my first trip overseas. We stayed at a resort on the waterfront of a popular tourist spot. We spent most of our days there on the beach. I was a fantastic swimmer and loved the water at the time. You had to drag me out of it practically. Nothing could break my spirit, nothing could scare me, I thought. I always considered my parents to be somewhat responsible. They were so strict I just thought it was because they were trying to protect me and do what was best. Looking back though, 
I get angry at how wrong I was. On the second day of our trip, my father walked me down to the beach. From what I can remember, we ended up at a boat rental area. They had kayaks and other small boats, what they called kayaks I guess, but these weren't kayaks. They were more like paddle boards. They were primarily flat and you sat on them rather than in them. My dad essentially told me to get the kayak and be safe and don't mess around with the paddleboard. While dragging me out in one of these kayaks and pushing me into the water, a young girl around my age approached me, asking if she could join. I was practically conditioned into subservience, so I allowed it. We rowed around in the shallow waters until she noticed some big waves out on the horizon. She insisted we go out there. I was scared, and I knew it was dangerous and a bad idea. But I've never had anybody convince me of doing something I didn't want to do, really. So, against my better judgment, we rode out there, and slowly but surely we approached waves taller than the two of us combined. We immediately realized our predicament and attempted to turn around, but it was far too late. A ten-foot wave flipped our tiny boat and flung us into the sea. The waves crashed over me repeatedly. All I could do was see the bottom of the ocean for a while. I remember thinking it was beautiful. I couldn't stay, though. I had to do something. The waves were still coming at me with my head finally above the water. I couldn't see anything over them, and I felt myself dragged beneath. Finally, I saw the girl. I hated her, and I didn't want to help her. Then I saw the boat. Both were maybe 20 feet away in opposite directions. I swam harder than ever towards the ship. Tears were streaming down my face. I eventually got us back onto the kayak, and our oars were nowhere in sight. We used our arms to paddle us forward, and after some time, what felt like an hour, maybe even more, we were back in the calmer waters, where we found one of our missing oars. We used it to get back to shore as quickly as possible. Upon arriving on the beach, we both ran back to our parents. At least I assume that's where she went, as we never saw each other again. Unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. Even after relaying that and all of what happened to my parents, they didn't seem to even get the hint that I should be supervised. I wasn't a bad kid, but as a seven-year-old in a foreign country, you'd think they'd be more cautious. A couple of days later, I walked down to the beach by myself, where an older gentleman approached me. He had a strange accent and asked me how old I was. I told him, though, I was genuinely creeped out by him. I felt like I had to answer his questions. He was an adult and was therefore in charge. He then asked me if I would hang out with his son, Frederick. I still was nervous, but I reluctantly said yes. I was scared of this man, but at the same time, I wanted another kid to play with as I was lonely. He took me to him, who, to his credit, was real. I hadn't been tricked or lured, and all my worries instantly melted away. Frederick and his father were visiting from Poland, and Frederick and I bonded, talking about our home countries, interests, and absent parents. I then learned that Frederick was 13. This concerned me, though. Not as much as it should have, probably. Being only seven years old, I knew that he was what was considered at my school, a big kid. When you're a kid, a six-year difference really is a lot. It feels like they have as much control over you as an adult, but we got along great, so I had no reason to think of him as anything other than a friend. We continued to hang out for several days. We would meet up at a specific spot on the beach, and we would talk and play in the sand. We never really went in the water. We would chat and explore the coast. It was a lot of fun. 
I liked Frederick. On the third day we met up, we played around in the sand. By this point, I noticed his father was never around. I had only ever seen him the first day when he approached me alone. I didn't think much of it. Frederick suggested we go into the water. As someone who loved the ocean, I was more than happy to oblige. I was honestly waiting for this. I loved the sand, but I wanted to swim. We went in the water talking and laughing, except he kept moving further and further out to sea until I eventually couldn't touch the bottom. He was more than a foot taller than I was, so I assumed he didn't realize I couldn't feel him anymore. But then, his whole demeanor changed. We were facing each other. I was facing the shore, and he was facing the open ocean. He was blocking my path back to the beach, though this wasn't a concern at the time until he started acting weird. Nothing leading up to this point would have led me to believe he was a threat. He asked me about my body and if I had ever seen a guy's private parts. Thinking this was a joke, I said no. He then asked me if my parents knew where I was. I once again stupidly said no. I was getting worried out, and I told him I wanted to go back to the beach. He ignored me, and then he asked, Do you want to see it? Surprisingly, at this point, I actually kind of knew what was going on, and I wasn't being an idiot for once. I tried to swim past him, but he grabbed my arm before I could say anything. He put both hands on top of my head and shoved me underwater. I was kicking and screaming, knowing no one could hear me or save me. I felt so helpless. I felt, I felt like I was leaving my body. I could see his legs, I could see the empty blue, I could see my parents lying on lounge chairs half a mile up the beach, sun tanning, drinking cocktails, not a worry in the world. Anger consumed me. I was a good swimmer. I was in martial arts. I knew I could do better. I deserved a chance at life. I wanted my freedom so severely I kicked and kicked and kicked and I kicked Frederick right in the jewels by pure chance. I somehow made it back to shore by grasping for air and swimming like I was in the Olympics. I ran to my parents, and though they questioned why I was out of breath, all I could say was, I never want to see Frederick again, and I didn't. During the last couple of days of the trip, my parents looked out for me. They never even questioned my decision to stop seeing this kid who they had never even met. I put it out of my mind, too. I'm 24 years old now. I recently brought it up to my mother, telling her the whole story. She cried. I get it. I love my parents. Unfortunately, they didn't start paying attention to me until I no longer needed it. When I was a young teenager, my friend Nathan and I would often take my family's large sea kayak out to cross the nearby river to a small creek around a half a kilometer away and shoot off adjacent to an abandoned golf course. This creek was very slow moving compared to the large Hawkesbury River, and as a result, a lot of rubbish and debris would collect at the mouth of the river before slowly being distributed throughout its length. Nathan and I spent a lot of time at this creek. We even built a small jetty to tie the kayak to using long sticks and baling twine from hay bales that we used to feed the horses with back at home. We used this jetty to moor the kayak while we navigated the mess of prickly pear cacti that guarded the borders of the golf course. The golf course itself was incredibly eerie. No animals, birds, or even insects could be heard or seen on it. Every noise you made echoed back at you from a nearby sandstone cliff face. The closest thing we saw to an animal was the skeleton of a kangaroo that we found around the second time we went there. 
It was strange, as we had only been to the spot around a week prior and there was no corpse. Yet there, in the middle of the clearing, it was a complete kangaroo skeleton. Sun bleached and scattered about. We picked up some of the bones and admired them closely, remarking on what part of the skeleton we thought each bone was before tossing them aside. I took the skull back with me in the kayak and placed it on the bookshelf in my room when I got home that afternoon. I often took things back from my outings. Nathan never seemingly did though, but he was always on the lookout for something for me to collect. The next time we went out to the creek, we decided to try our luck at exploring the waterway as far down as possible. We armed ourselves with machetes and small hatchets that we had used when we built the jetty and set off. The journey was made extremely difficult by vines that spanned the creek from bank to bank. Sunken logs and dense river weeds produced paddling nearly impossible. The water was full of garbage too. Broken tubes, life jackets, boat propellers, you name it, it made its way there. As we made it through to a relatively rubbish-free area with dark, ominous-looking water, I looked down briefly and saw what I thought was a doll's head just below the water's surface. I stopped paddling to crane my neck over to see it more clearly. It was a doll's head, around a foot below the surface, as if it was tethered there from the riverbed. It was looking up with a blank expression and light blue eyes. I instantly got a panicked feeling as I gazed at it. Before I could say anything, Nathan exclaimed, Ah, cool, and plunged his hand into the water. He was surprised how deep he had to reach to wrap his fingers around the head, but Nathan was a determined dude. He lifted the head out of the water and grinned at me. Streams of water ran from his closed fist as he triumphantly held it out toward me. I took it reluctantly from him. It was a tiny doll's head, around three inches in diameter. The charge was sun-damaged, and as a result, it had lost a lot of the paint features. There were no discernible pupils on its eyes, just the blue-colored iris. This gave the thing an alarming look. I shook my head and placed the head on the front of the kayak to look like a figurehead of the old wooden ship. Nathan laughed. Let's call him Bob, he said while grinning. I gave him a deadpan look. I was trying not to laugh. You're so original, I scoffed at him before returning to resume paddling. I stopped immediately when I saw Bob staring straight back at me. I had not placed him like that. I had sent him facing forward. I knew I had because his face creeped me out and I did not want to look at it. Nathan paddled while I rested, so we moved at a good pace. As I was at the front of the boat, I was meant to watch for obstacles and call out if I saw something ahead. However, I was entirely focused on Bob as we struck a submerged tree and came to an abrupt stop. Everything on the kayak jumped forward due to this. Nathan and me, our packed lunches and water bottles. Nothing too major happened. Everything on the kayak had jumped forward, except for the doll's head. I had kept my eye on it the entire time, and it did not even move half an inch. It was like this thing was super glued to the boat. Nathan began teasing me about being blind. I snapped at him to be quiet. He asked what was wrong, and I leaned to the right for him to see the head. I pointed and said, It didn't move, dude. While half chuckling, Nathan moved forward to look at it closer. What do you mean? He asked slowly. I picked up my paddle and took a slow stroke backward in the water and hit the tree again. Lightly. 
Once again, everything in the kayak jumped forward slightly as we struck the tree except for Bob. He stayed perfectly still. Nathan laughed. That's weird, he said, his voice trailing off. I reached out and turned Bob around on his spot, and he turned quickly. Let's go home, I roared. He was trying to wash the area of the heavy feeling that was seeming to settle down upon us. Nathan agreed, and we turned the kayak around to head home. I watched the head like a hawk. Bob never looked back at me on the whole trip home. When we got home, we packed everything up that we could into our backpacks and lifted the kayak out of the water. The head was stuffed into my pocket. I had not told Nathan about how creeped out I was of this thing for fear that he would give me crap about it or maybe give him possible ammunition to play a dumb prank on me with it. Nathan was and still is my best friend and he would have done that if I told him just as I would have done it to him if the rules had been reversed. I decided to keep my mouth shut about the doll head and hope Nathan would simply forget about it. We trudged over to my neighbor's backyard with the kayak, holding it by the handles at both ends. My pocket started to feel very warm. I stopped listening to Nathan's nonsense and focused more and more on the head's ever-increasing temperature inside my bag. Each time I thought, it can't get any hotter. It somehow would. It was not a burning sensation, more like the feeling of deep heat as it gets left on. I tried my best to ignore it. It was getting dark now, and I wanted to call home. We dropped our kayak off in the garage, put away the machetes and hatchet before making our way upstairs for dinner. I took a detour to my room to dump the head out of my pocket and onto my bed. I left it there while I left to join my friend Nathan and my family for dinner. When Nathan and I finished dinner and entered my bedroom to sleep later that night, the head was absent from the bottom bunk. My room was a mess admittedly, but it still should have been in that cleared spot that I put it in. I took a little time to look for it. I tossed the blankets and sheets and climbed over to peer down through the gap between the bed and wall. I could not see it anywhere. I was concerned, but not too concerned. I was somewhat relieved that it was gone. However, I had a gnawing feeling that it was still around somewhere. He was not exactly watching me, but I knew there was a presence around. Nathan seemed to have forgotten about it though. He never brought Bob back up again that night, and he climbed up to the top bunk and promptly fell asleep. I lay down on my bunk on the bottom and pulled the bundle of blankets haphazardly over me. I was falling asleep quickly as well. The next day I was awoken by thumping noises coming from nearby. I got up out of bed to glance out the window into the paddock of our front property to see my stepfather using the hatchet to hack at a tree stump that was much too large for the little axe. My stepfather was a brilliant man, but his grasp of common sense sometimes bordered on the absurd. I yawned, rubbing my eyes and turning around before opening them. I froze in place. On the shelf in front of the kangaroo skull was Bob. His eyes looked at me once again, directly into mine. I turned to look at Nathan, still sleeping on the top bunk, and instantly jumped on the railing to punch him hard in the upper arm. He awoke with a pained cry and looked at me with a scowl. What the hell, man? He demanded, lifting his other arm to place his palm over the spot that I had struck with the punch. Like you don't know you mofo, I said with a half-assed laugh. I was trying to mask the trembling tone in my voice. Nathan looked incredulously back at me. I stared at him to see if his stoic expression would falter. It always would when he played pranks. It did not though. I shook my head, 
and strafed across the room, going to the bookshelf so he could see it. I pointed at the top shelf. You didn't put it there? I asked quietly. Nathan sat there to get a better look and shook his head. Nah, man, I would have had him facing outward anyway. You know I would have. I spun my head around so fast that my neck nearly broke. Sure enough, the face was now facing toward the kangaroo skull and not outward like it was before. I started shaking, unable to hold myself up without the railing any longer. I dropped to the floor and stormed over to my bookshelf to pick up Bob and took him into the kitchen. I threw him into the bin and took out the trash and took it out to the fire pit. Ever since then, I've not taken anything from that river. I don't really know what's going on. I don't know if it was a haunted doll or if the river itself has something going on with it. It does feel weird. Like I said, you never hear any animal sounds. It's full of trash and it just seems like wasteland. I'd love to know your opinions in the chat down below. What do you think I experienced? Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true boating horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, whether it's a story from out boating or something completely different, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this channel going on a daily basis. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this gets, the more YouTube promotes it. If you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify, please give this a 5-star rating over there as it helps us grow there. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them nearly every single day and all things natural and supernatural. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium but would still like to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Apple Podcast, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and just about everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. I'd love to know which story tonight was your favorite in the comments down below. It helps me pick better stories in the future. Be sure to check out our merch store. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, and more. Don't forget to join me on Twitch, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.